And so as we come to the end of our series on the greatest story, and Jesus finally shows up on the scene, people have been waiting for him for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, I want to pull out a couple things at this big reveal as he suddenly comes into the world. And the first thing I want to talk about is in verse 8. It says the shepherds were staying out in their fields and watching at night over their flock. And you say, Alex, why do I care? Like, they could have been anywhere. I don't care where the shepherds were. Um, but it, it, it's an interesting detail, and I'm going to explain why. And then I guess you can decide whether or not it's an interesting detail. After I explain it, you might be like, that wasn't interesting at all. You wasted our time. But hopefully it's interesting to you. We know a lot about Jesus' birth. Like, we have Roman historical records that Jesus was a real person. He wasn't a mythological figure. He wasn't somebody we just created. He was a real person. We know that he, lived, uh, that he died between 33 and 36 AD. We know that he was 33 years old, so he's probably born somewhere between 0 and 3 AD. But we don't know necessarily what month he was born. But almost all scholars agree that Jesus wasn't born in December. He was probably born in the summertime, and that's why the shepherd detail is interesting, because he was out in the fields. And you don't go out in the fields with your flock during the, the rainy, cold Middle East um, winter. You do that in the summertime, so it was probably late spring, sometime in the summer when Jesus was actually born. And so you say, Alice, why in the world do we celebrate in December then? What, what's going on here? Why do we do this? Um, a few hundred years after Jesus, followers of Jesus began spreading out from Asia and the Middle East into Europe, and they began encountering Germanic tribes, and they did what a lot of good missionaries do. They started asking people, tell me your stories. What's going on in your culture? What's, uh, what's your stories? What's your understanding of how the world works? And they began learning these people's customs and their stories, and they had an interesting one based around the winter solstice. So the winter solstice, right, is when the days get shorter and shorter and the nights get longer and longer. So the light is going out and the darkness seems to be growing. And so um, these early missionaries did a, a very interesting thing. They would take the local stories of people and they would retell the stories with Jesus as the hero of the story. And that's what they did in this case. And I'll tell you how this ties into us celebrating Christmas uh, at wintertime. So each December... The Germanic people celebrated Yule, and Yule was a winter solstice celebration when on the three darkest nights of the year, they would kill animals, they would kill horses, and they would take blood and they would pour it on themselves, they would pour it into the ground, they would pour it on their houses. And the idea was, if you sacrificed enough things, the gods would take pity on us and bring the light back. The darkness would end and the days would start to get longer again. And so they would have these three days of pouring blood out into the earth and on their houses and on themselves, and then the light would come back. And they're like, oh, the gods heard us. We got another year of light. And then as the light began to wane the next year, they'd have this celebration again. And that was Yule. And um, when the Christian missionaries encountered these Germanic people and heard this, they said, oh, you almost have it right. They're like, you have some details right here. Let's fill in the gap for you. They said, Jesus came into a dark world. But rather than demanding that we pour out blood for him, he poured out his own blood into the earth. And for three days and three nights, he went into the grave. And when he came back to life, he declared eternal life. So there'd never have to be another sacrifice. And anyone who takes his blood upon them doesn't ever have to pour out the blood of an animal ever again. You'll be rescued out of eternal darkness and you know everlasting light. And so they began to connect this story of Jesus to this Yuletime festival. And um, when you add Jesus to a story of sacrifice, it goes from a story of sacrifice to a story of celebration. 
And the reason that we celebrate Christmas in December is because we come from European roots and we come from the West and this tradition developed up out of this uh, Christianity encountering this story. And I think that if we let Jesus into our story, into our lives, he begins to change our story, just like he changed the story of blood and sacrifice and barbarism. Instead, he changed it into what we see as a celebration in the time of Lex and, and, um, and Thanksgiving and happiness and joy. And I think when Jesus enters into our life, he takes the ugly and the dark things and he transforms them but notice here how the shepherds responded. This was the best news these shepherds would ever receive, and their response, their response was terror and fear. Their initial response to the best news they were ever going to get was fear. And I think sometimes when God is doing something good, our initial automatic reaction is, it's bad. We're fearful. Anything that's a change, anything that's out of the ordinary, anything that we didn't predict or have control over, we're like, oh no, this is bad. And I think sometimes we respond with fear when God is actually doing something good, when he's doing something new, when he's about to uh, do something exciting, we're like, oh, I'm scared. But that's old kingdom thinking. Jesus came into the world to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness, introduce us to the kingdom of light. But the kingdom of darkness that surrounds us all the time, that kind of thinking means that sometimes when God is doing something good, something new, something exciting, we respond with fear rather than faith. Um, when I lived down in Tennessee, my brother and my dad and I we used to go what we called gangster camping. Now, we weren't dressing up like gangsters and we didn't take guns, but we'd call it that because we didn't get a permit. In Tennessee, people just camp all over the place. They didn't, you know. uh, so we would just go back in the woods on our four-wheelers and we would go down a trail until we hit some uh, water, there was a river there, and we'd find a nice place along the bank, and we would set up our tents, and we would camp. And um, it's Tennessee. Nobody cares about it. And so we would just camp without permission, you know, on somebody's land, but nobody cared. And um, at least they think they didn't care. Maybe after they listen to this, they'll be like, that was you camping back there? And I'll be in big trouble. Uh, but anyways, my brother and my dad would share a tent because he was little, and then I would have a tent to myself, and we'd set them up around the fire, and, you know, we'd have a good time. Well, one night we're out there, and it's crazy. If you've ever been outside all night, you hear things outside that you never hear in your home. And there's like, I don't know what goes on in the woods at night, but it sounds like there's a thousand people out there, you know? And sometimes you hear something at night, and you're like, what in the world is this? So I remember this one time, we heard something crashing through the woods. And I'm like, this is either like a hundred people, it's a giant bear, maybe it's Sasquatch. I mean, I, I don't know what it was. So I remember my, my dad and my brother like unzip their tent a little bit and just stick out their heads and they're like, Alex, do you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I get out and I have my pocket knife. Like that's going to do anything, you know? And I'm like on the edge of the camp where the campfire is low and I'm like, what is coming out of the woods right now? And there's this fear. It's just like almost like this terror. Like anything can come out of these woods. You know, in your mind immediately goes to every horror movie, every scary picture you've ever seen. And you're like, what is coming out of these woods? Out of the woods trots our cat. I don't know how it came the two miles from our house, you know, out this four-wheeler trail. And it sounded like it was a gigantic monster. It's our little, you know, outside tabby cat. Comes trotting out. And I'm like, what? You know, and then you feel so silly, you know, because we're like, I'm holding this knife, like shaking, like what's about to come out of here? And it's our cat. But isn't that our usual tendency? Like something happens or we hear about something and instantly we respond with fear. 
We think, oh man, this is going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's got to be bad. And even when something good happens, we think, well, something bad's going to follow it. That's old kingdom thinking. That's kingdom of darkness thinking. The good news of Jesus transforms this thinking. Um, so often, the world we live in is full of fear and shame and blame and lies. And that's what our lives look like. Without Jesus in them, they're full of fear and blame and shame and lies. And that's the very darkness that Jesus came into the world to defeat, the darkness in us and around us. And that darkness has not only invaded our cities and our communities and our society, but it's, it's invaded our minds and our emotions and our lives. And we see this all the time. But this is where I think the good news of Jesus, the shepherds here, hear from the angels that they are bringing good news in verse 10. It says, we have come to, uh, don't be afraid because we proclaim you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so their fears were calmed with good news. I think the good news of Jesus transforms our fear and blame and shame and lies. It transforms it into grace and joy and peace and love. And sometimes the Bible uses this term, gospel, to describe this good news of Jesus. And gospel just means good news. It's another way of saying the same thing. The good news of Jesus is that we couldn't reach God, so God reached for us. We couldn't get to where he was because of the darkness and the destructive selfishness inside of all of us, so God came to us. He laid down his life so that we could live his life. He took the worst part of us, our selfish, destructive tendencies, and he gave us the best part of himself, his righteousness. In Luke 4.18, Jesus says, God has sent me to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and sight to the blind. I love that the first people that the angels announces to is shepherds. These weren't the cream of the crop of society. These were the ordinary people. These were the lowly people. You know, um, if you've ever seen it, one of those TV shows where, like, America's Got Talent, or The Voice, or uh, American Idol, you know, somebody comes out, and they sing really bad, and everybody's, like, snickering, and they're like, you're never going to get on this show. Get out of here. I love that Jesus' kingdom doesn't work like that. Like, Jesus doesn't come in, and he says, well, you know what? You're just not good looking, or you're just not smart, or you're just not fun to be around. So, no, you're out. It says here that this is good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Everybody who wants to get in is in. Everyone was welcome to accept the free gift that the rescuer was bringing. It's offered to everybody. He wasn't like, oh, only if you're talented enough, or you're smart enough, or you give enough, or you do enough, then you get in. He's like, oh, I'm going to do it all, and anybody who wants to get in is in. Anyone could take the light that he offered and have him rescue them from the darkness in the world. While the gift is offered to everybody, nobody is forced to open it. Uh, to open it. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And so in verse 14, the angel says that the end result of this is going to be glory to God and peace on earth. And you say, okay, Alex, I heard the songs about peace on earth. I've heard preachers talk about peace on earth. Uh, look around. Have you listened to the news? Have you read a newspaper? I was reading a newspaper the other day, and it's like every headline is a bad news. You know, you're like, well, the world's messed up. It's full of shame and blame and lies and fear. You say, so where's peace at, Alex? Well, dismantling the kingdom of darkness starts with dismantling the darkness in us. And so if you want to look at this, Jesus has a two-fold strategy to bring peace into the world. There can't be peace in the world until there's peace in people in the world. 
And so he's starting with changing us, and then he's going to change the world. I have people all the time ask me, like, why is the world such a mess if God is good? The world is such a mess because we're a mess. And we're in the world messing it up. God's going to fix us first, and then he's going to fix the world. He's reinstating the kingdom of light. He's entering, inviting us into his kingdom in two phases. Phase one, he's preparing people to live in his kingdom. Phase two, he's preparing the world for us to live in as his kingdom. Most of the time, we want God to fix our neighbor, to fix our co-worker, to fix our community, to fix our neighborhood, our nation, our world. We just don't want him to start with fixing us. Like, get to, we're pretty good. Like, get to somebody else first. Fix them. And then after everybody else is good, then you can get to me. Because I'm really not the problem. And that's the problem. We don't think we're the problem. See, peace on earth starts with peace in you and me. Until there's peace in us, there can't be peace in the world. So very simply here at the end, I want to make a simple application. The offer of Jesus, the gift that he's given is offered to everybody, but everybody's not going to take it. They have a choice. So I had this one old lady in Tennessee, super sweet lady, but she would give me uh, fruitcake every year. I know some people love fruitcake. I'm not a huge fruitcake fan. Um, fruitcake is not great if you've never had it. It's like a hard log, shelf full of like candies and hard dried fruit, and it really never goes bad because it's like a rock and it's just, it lasts forever. So it would be great in an apocalypse. Austin, I know you're always preparing for an apocalypse. Fruitcake. No fruitcake. Okay. So she would always give me fruitcake. So she would wrap it up, and I would get it. I wouldn't even unwrap it. I'd just throw it right in the trash. Because I knew the shape, right? I knew the wrapping, and I was like, I'm not going to even waste my time unwrapping. It's going right in the trash. Very grateful person, right? Um, and I think some of us are like that with Jesus. Like, he's offering a free gift to anybody. He says, come and be my follower. It's a free gift. I've done everything. I've paid for it. I've sacrificed myself. It's a free gift to anybody who take it. And some people will be like, no. He offers it to everybody, but not everybody is going to open it. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do, if you haven't opened the gift from Jesus, become a follower of Jesus. And all that means is you're saying, I need a rescuer. I need to be rescued. Say, Jesus, rescue me. So some people open it, they unwrap it, and they're like, oh, this? Have you ever got a gift and you're like, oh, thank you. I, I still wanted that. I do that a lot at Darby says, you've got to be nice to people. I didn't want that, though. Like, they could have saved their money. I didn't want it. So the, the second thing is we need to show the gift. Like, if we become a follower of Jesus, we need to let people know. And today, how do we do that? When you get a great gift on Christmas, you're like, i got to put that on social media. i got to let people see that i got this great gift. Well, in talking about Jesus and following Jesus, that means being baptized. That means taking a step to say, hey, everybody, I want you to know that I follow Jesus. I've asked him to be my rescuer. I want to live and love like he did. And I want everybody to know that from now on, I'm going to try to follow Jesus. It's a way of announcing your step to the world. And so that's the second thing. But then some people, they accept the gift from Jesus. They, they announce it to the world. Hey, I got this gift. I'm so grateful for Jesus. I want everybody to know. But then they, they don't use it. Jesus Christ promised that anyone who would follow him, he'd empower them with his Holy Spirit to live and love like he did. To follow the way that he lived life. And that's when you actually use the gift. Have you ever got something? You're like, oh, I'm so grateful for it. And then you find it like two years later, and you're like, oh, yeah, somebody got me that. I never knew. The other day we were trying to fix something here, and I was like, oh, my dad got me this multi-tool. 
I finally get to put that to good use. Thanks, Dad. And you know, then I was really grateful for the gift. And uh, so when you get a gift and you actually use it, like this is my hat I like, you actually wear it. You actually put it on. And I think there's a lot of people who said, yes, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. Yes, I want to announce it to the world. And then sometimes they're like, yeah, but I'm never going to live in love like Jesus. I'm good now. And he wants you to actually use the gift. Actually take it out of the box and live and love like he did. Actually act like him in our world. He, he meant for us to experience the life that he lived and for that to change the people around us. So here's the question. Which, which stage are you at? Are you holding the gift? And you're like, do I want to unwrap this? Do I want to say, Jesus, I need to be rescued? Because if you're like me, my life was full of fear and blame and shame and lies until Jesus. Until I open that gift. Maybe you've opened that gift and said, yes, Jesus, I want you to rescue me. And you're ready to stage two, let everyone know that you've got this gift and be baptized. Or maybe you have the gift, you've announced it, and you're like, but you know what? I never ever use it. He gave me this opportunity to live and love like he did. And I'm just like, eh, I don't care. Enjoying knowing Jesus means living and loving like Jesus, becoming a student of the way that he lived and loved. And so I want to conclude our message today, and really our Christmas service as a whole, by reading a passage from the beginning of John. So most of the time when we, when we look for our Christmas messages, we go to Matthew, we go to Luke. But I really think the beginning of John is beautiful, especially when you think of it in the, the heritage of our Germanic forefathers and their story of darkness and light. Read this paraphrase from John 1, or listen to this paraphrase. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, nothing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is at the Father's side. He alone has revealed God to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming into our world and for not coming in destroying us because of how messed up we were and how we had messed up your world. But instead, Lord, you came in and you said you came to free captives and to give the blind sight and to rescue us out of the darkness, out of the sin in our world. We're so grateful that you came and died in our place so that we might stand with you in your place in heaven. We're so grateful that you didn't stay dead, but you came back to life and you invite us to live in your life. And God, I pray that if there's anyone out here who's holding the package and thinking like, should I cry out to Jesus? Should I say, I need a rescuer? Jesus, rescue me. Lord, I pray that they will just know that they can trust you. That's not a scary thing, that you're not going to rip apart their life, but you're going to change their life in every good way. And Lord, for those who have maybe made that decision, but they've never been baptized, Lord, I pray that you will just encourage them to proudly share with the world what you've done inside their life. And Lord, for those of us who know you, who have announced to the world that we're followers of you, but I pray that we'll use the gift that you've given us. You've given us the Holy Spirit so that we can live and love like you do. And I pray above all that at this Christmas season, the name of Jesus will be high and lifted up in our church, in our homes, in our community, and in our city. 
And I pray all these things like I believe you would pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. You're dismissed.